You know the little proverb we throw around in conversation, don't put all your eggs in one basket? It's a rule of thumb we can find ourselves applying to things like college applications, job interviews, money investments. Heck, we can even apply it to dating strategies. And this strategy has probably served most of us well at some time or another. But this particular wisdom was never meant to carry us through our entire lives. It's great for seasons and pieces of our journey, but at some point, we have to commit, fully commit to something, to someone, to some school, to some job. That decision in whatever form it takes can be scary, but it's necessary, right? In order to dig deeper or go farther in any given area in your life, you have to commit more time, energy, and resources to it. When we choose, when we commit, it carries us to the next stage of life. Here in Luke, we hear Jesus rather abrasively reminding us that this decision to follow Christ, to be a part of the movement he is spearheading, is a big commitment. It will require not just a piece or a season of our lives, but the whole thing. This is the opposite of a don't put all your eggs in one basket situation. This is a call to discipleship, to a lifelong love of God. It is a put all your eggs and your efforts and your hopes into one basket kind of situation. This big of an ask should make us squirm a little bit. The life that Jesus calls us to in scripture, while beautiful, is an uphill road. I'm an ordained reverend. I've dedicated my life to this calling and it still makes me uncomfortable. It makes us honestly ask, if push came to shove, could I truly do this? Put God above everything else, even my family? Is my identity first and foremost a child of God or a child of the Armstrongs? And right out of the gate, that tension is what Jesus points to. He knows that if there was anything to make us waver or question our commitment to our faith, it would be our families. We hear Jesus proclaim that we must hate father and mother, wife and children, even life itself, if we are to be his disciples. Jesus is trying to get us to play that scenario out in our head. Would we have the courage to choose the will of God over the will of our family? of ourselves? That's a tall price to pay. Jesus is trying to jar us out of any illusion that being a part of the work of God's kingdom here on earth comes without cost. I mean, it's not all bad, but the waters can get choppy. And I guess I admire his honesty, but talk about immediately polarizing your audience. The text says at the beginning, that he has this large crowd traveling with him. And this is his opening line. He's getting right to the heart of the matter. Will we practice what we preach? In a culture that often normalizes some Christian practices, would we be able to stand against the norm if the tide changed? 
If you are in over your head or getting cold feet, Jesus says, better get out now. Within this bold call to discipleship, you'll be glad to hear that the rhetoric of hate is not an actual call to hate your family, so no need to practice that. If you flip through both Hebrew scripture and the Greek New Testament, you'll notice that there is a repetitive use of extremes, particularly the extreme of love versus hate. For instance, in Hebrews, we read, love righteousness and hate wickedness. And in Matthew, we read that one cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. This verbiage is actually a characteristic of what was then contemporary Jewish tradition. They were the traditional foils used when talking about two things that would demand our attention or allegiance. The dichotomy of love versus hate was the binary wisdom that highlighted where your devotion and loyalty lay. It wasn't that you needed to actually hate one of the things, it just meant that you had to choose. There was no 50-50. You had to commit to one over the other. Now, if you're committed to righteousness, then it should follow that you will not stand for any wickedness. But not all options are that clear cut, as we see in our Luke text. Another way of framing this binary wisdom can be seen in the Matthew text. The words devotion and despise are substituted in for love and hate. When you devote yourself to something, it is a tangible decision. Your priorities, your actions, and your efforts can't help but fall in line behind you. Through this lens, we are reminded that devotion is really just another way we show and practice our love of something or someone, is it not? It makes me wonder what devotion has looked like in our lives. When was the last time you devoted yourself to something, truly dove in with both feet? How did that affect your priorities, your actions, and your efforts? Narrowing it down even more, when was the last time you devoted yourself to your walk with God? What did those seasons of devotion look like? While it's not directly related to my walk with God, when I think of devotion, I think of my experience participating in my dance studio's production of The Nutcracker in high school. While it was no New York City ballet production, it was a huge commitment. On top of school and orchestra and soccer practice, it was 20 hours a week of class and rehearsals from August until December. I was loving the experience and community that I was building but I was learning that I couldn't do everything. <laughs> I was learning my limits and the toll this level of devotion and commitment would take on my body and my community, especially if I kept trying to commit to everything. One day I fell asleep, like a deep, deep sleep at my desk in biology to the point where my teacher pulled me aside more concerned than angry with me. I told her what was going on, and as fate would have it, she had been a ballerina too. She understood what I was going through, but she told me, you have to make some tough choices. You have to say no to friends sometimes, 
even miss out on family things? Commitments like this force you to learn how to choose and how to honor and prioritize your time and your body or you will fall apart. You can't do everything. Wise words. Now, as a 16-year-old, the last thing I wanted to hear was that I couldn't see my friends, but she was right. I had to make tough choices. Ones that might upset my friends might upset me, but that honored the community and commitment that I had chosen to be a part of. And when I did that, it fostered a deeper love and trust amongst our little community. For the months of August through December, we were committed to each other. And for each hard choice we had to make, we became more and more like family. And that is what Jesus is saying here. You can't do everything. At some point, you will have to choose. But in those choices, however hard they are, are chances for deeper love, trust, and community. So while the initial cost might sting a little, it's not all bad news, like I said. Once I stopped trying to do and be everything for everyone, I felt so much better. I slept better, I danced better, my grades got better. And most importantly, I was able to salvage that deep joy in my heart that comes with doing something you love within a community you love. Jesus is not asking us to forsake our families and go at it alone. The beauty of the discipleship Jesus is calling us to is that it's deeply rooted in community. When you jump in, invest yourself in a cause or community, there are precious few things that feel more wonderful than realizing that they are just as invested in you. Jesus is invested in us, in our well-being, in our flourishing, and the betterment of the world. While the cost can be scary, the reward is unending love and grace. That experience of participating in the Nutcracker shaped me. Through that devotion, one can say I was molded. And pardon the pun, but jokes aside, that is where our text from Jeremiah fits in beautifully to this concept. This is another text that comes off a bit harsh, but if we really take a closer look, there are some beautiful moments in both passages, there's an intensity, an all-or-nothing mindset about the covenant we enter into with God. Yet under the surface here in Jeremiah, there is a fluidity, a malleability to the covenant as well. We have this clear image of God as potter, working with an already spoiled clay, asking us, do we throw in the towel or do we come together and go back to the wheel? The words in Jeremiah read, At one moment I may declare that I will pluck up and break down, but if that nation turns from its evil, I will change my mind. These words do not come from a distant God or a rigid God. God is asking us through Jeremiah to change God's mind, to please turn from our destructive ways and back to the God who only wants to help us find our way again. How cool is that? We are God's creation. The last thing God wants is for Israel to be destroyed. And how might we go about changing God's mind? How might we begin to rebuild 
to let ourselves be remolded. You guessed it, through renewed devotion and commitment to the way and will of God. We are not passive recipients or rigid militants of God's creation. We are active participants. How we live our lives, love our neighbors, and spend our time matters. And it not only matters, it is what shapes us. That is the underlying truth beneath both texts today. We are shaped by what we love. We are molded by what and who we commit ourselves to. And we can't commit ourselves to everything, whether out of greed or fear or just out of being a people pleaser. When we try to be everything, we crumble like clay. Just as Jesus is always there calling us to let go of our weighty possessions and take up our faith in renewed devotion, God is always at the wheel. God gathers us, the crumbled clay, into God's loving hands and patiently. Once we have let go of that which does not serve us and the kingdom of God begins to mold us back into shape. When we combine our devotion and God's unending love, we continue to be molded away from fear and destruction and towards a deeper love of God and one another. To take up our cross, to change God's mind, is to let ourselves be reshaped in the image of God. God is always making things new, not just our hopes and our joys, but our lives. So may we always have the courage to commit to God, to put all our hopes and trust in God's basket, as they say, and to have the courage to devote ourselves to being remade always. Amen.